Welcome to American Indian and Alaska Native Living, a program designed to educate and inspire listeners throughout Indian country. American Indian and Alaska Native Living is hosted by Dr. David DeRose, a board-certified specialist in both internal medicine and preventive medicine. Dr. DeRose has a wide range of experience with Native health issues, and he is here today to help you learn more about your health. Here is Dr. DeRose. Welcome to American Indian and Alaska Native Living. I'm Dr. David DeRose. We're recording another in a series of broadcasts from Anchorage, Alaska. It is May of 2023, and we're at the National Indian Health Board's National Tribal Health Conference. We're rubbing shoulders with people from throughout Indian country, people making a difference and really communicating uh, all kinds of wonderful things that can help folks throughout North America and even beyond. Person sitting across from me right now is uh, someone with an amazing story. He is heading up as the executive director the National Indian Council on Aging. His name is Larry Curley. Larry, it is great to have you with us. Thank you. It's a pleasure. It's a pleasure to be here. Larry, a lot of folks uh, throughout Indian country know about your organization, but for those that don't, can you just kind of give us a quick overview of what you all do? Well, the National Indian Council on Aging has been around since 1976. And I was one of the original founders of the organization. And what it does is to, it is an advocacy organization that fights on behalf of racist issues, racist policy issues, to try to improve the lives of older Indian people in this country. And I think, you know, we have a mission statement that says we are advocating for the economic health, physical well-being of older Indian people in this country. And to me, that's what we do. But the question that I always ask is, why are we doing that? Mm. The why are we doing? And I've come up with an answer, and that is that those older people still have the wisdom, they have the knowledge, they have the language, they have the ceremonies, they have all the cultural knowledge of tribes. And so that if we can keep those older people alive a little bit longer. Mm. They can transmit that information to our younger people. By doing that, we are really ensuring the survival of Indian tribes in this country. So we, essence, in essence, are fighting for the survival of Indian tribes. I love this picture. And, and what I love about your story, Larry, is you know people could come by the booth and they could see you and I speaking and they can say, oh, this guy and, and his guests are talking about the Council on Aging because it looks like they're getting up a bit in years. But um, what's fascinating to me is your role as executive director and your involvement with the organization didn't start yesterday. Tell us uh, specifically about when the organization started and how you were involved with that whole process and how old you were. Well, I went to school at the University of Arizona and down in Tucson. And I... I just finished my undergraduate work, and I was trying to figure out what I wanted to do. And so I was walking in between semesters break. I was walking along, and I saw this neon piece of paper blowing across the lawn there in Tucson on campus. And I reached over, and I picked it up. I looked at it, and it said, Retirement Housing Administration, get your master's degree. Hmm. And I thought, well, you know, 
we are going to need at some point with a growing Indian elderly population at some point we are going to need to have people who are trained Indian people who are trained who know how to, to manage and administer long-term care facilities mm -hmm. and so I found out that one of my professors was heading that program I said I said so Dr. Koff I want to get in this program uh -huh. And he said, yeah, if you want to, yeah. So I got into the program, and it was funded. It provided you a stipend. Wonderful. And unfortunately, that was the same year that President Nixon did a rescission in the budget. Oh. And that stipend went out the window. But I had gotten so much involved, so interested in the program, that I stayed with it without the stipend. Uh -huh. And so... Part of my work was supposed to be do a six-month internship, that six-month internship in a nursing home. Mm -hmm. So at the end of the coursework, I ended up applying for an internship in a nursing home. I went into that nursing home, and I was assigned to the most debilitated part of the nursing home wow. where people were catatonic. They were just at the end of their life, basically. Mm -hmm. And at the age of 23, I, I just couldn't deal with that. Uh -huh. When I went back to Dr. Coffin, I said, I can't do this. Mm -hmm. I can't do this. I just mentally, physically, psychologically not ready uh -huh. to deal with. So he said, well, you might want to talk to this woman who runs an area agency on aging. And I said, what do they do? He says, go find out. So okay. I went. Uh -huh. <laughs> And I went there on, on a Monday, and I'm sitting there, and I walk into the office, and there's this woman sitting with, with a hair piled up on top of her head, <laughs> and she's got a pair of glasses in that hair. Uh -huh. She's got a pair of glasses sitting on her nose, and another pair of glasses <laughs> hanging around her neck. And she's talking on two phones at the same time. <laughs> and I'm sitting there wondering, what is this woman all about? So finally she stopped and she looks at me and she says, what do you want? I said, I want to do an internship. <laughs> and she looks at me and she says, I hate interns. I hate interns because they waste my time. I, I'm here, I train them, I educate them. And six months later, they're gone. They've wasted my time. Mm. And her name was Marion. I said, Marion, I want to be your intern. I'm going to be here longer than those six months. So she looked at me and she goes, so you really want to be an intern here? I said, yes, I do. So she reaches behind into her credenza and pulls out one of those big boxes, filing boxes, puts it on her desk and she says, okay, this is all the history of our organization and it's also our next year's budget request to the county. Do you want to be here? You're doing the presentation Wednesday afternoon <laughs> to the County Board of Supervisors. She looks at me again. She says, do you think you can do that? You know, being young, <laughs> cocky, you think you can do anything? I said, sure, I can do that. Good, she says. Then she reaches behind the credenza, pulls out another box, puts it on the desk. She says, fine. Wednesday evening, you're presenting our budget to the city council. Can you do that? Yes, I can do that. I had no idea when I got home. 
what a budget looks like. I don't know what indirect costs were. Uh. I had no idea what matching requirements were, but I did it. And when how, you are hearing the deadlines Wednesday, when are you meeting with her? On Monday. So you have... Two days. Two days. Two days. And you actually pulled this off? Yes, I did. As a matter of fact, with the county, they gave us an increase. Really? Yes. And so it was you know, a really interesting beginning with that woman. Mm-hmm. And for a woman that didn't like interns, she sat there for the next three years of my life teaching me everything she knew. Wow, amazing. And when she would go to the airport, she'd say, go with me. Let's talk. Wow. And she would tell me all the political nuances that was involved in a, in a meeting that we were just recently at. Mm-hmm. And she would talk and, she t- and showed me how to begin to really dissect policy issues. Mm-hmm. And about that time, my professor, my original professor, mm-hmm. said, hey, Larry, he said, he came to the office and he said, Larry, I've got this training program that the state of Arizona gave me. I want you to take a look and let me know what you think. So he gives me the training curriculum he had put together, and I looked at it, and I said, you know, Dr. Koff, almost 25% of the population here in Arizona are Indians, mm-hmm. and you have nothing in here about Indian and training them. I made up that figure of 25%. Fair enough. It sounds like you were in the ballpark for sure. <laughs> and so he says, oh, my God, he says, put together a training program for me. He says, and again, this is one of those rush, rush, rush mm-hmm, kind of things. Mm-hmm. That was on a Wednesday afternoon he stopped by. And he said, I need to have this by Friday. So I put together the training program. It was a three-day training program slated for April of 1975 at Arizona State University. Three days of training. Mm-hmm. He said, fine, you're going to facilitate that meeting. Okay. I hated talking in front of people. Huh. I did not like that at all. But he says, it's a part of your graduate requirements. Okay, well, <laughs> that's the way to get your attention, right? Yeah, he sure did. And so I I sat there in April of 75, facilitating a meeting of 300 tribal members that showed up for that training session. Wow. From throughout Arizona or beyond? From throughout, just Arizona only. Okay. And at that particular meeting, we talked about issues that were out there in Indian country among our older population. And out of that conference came two things. One was that we need to have a nation, a national Indian aging conference. Mm-hmm. And can you write a proposal that would enable that to happen for the following year, 1976? Mm-hmm. And 1976, as you know, the bicentennial. Right, right. So we thought we'd hook those concepts okay. together. Uh-huh. And so we wrote the proposal, and at the same time, the other thing they asked was, Larry, you seem to know something about the Older Americans Act. Is it possible that you can write an amendment to the Older Americans Act that would ensure that funding for tribes go directly from the federal government to the tribes rather than through the states to the area agencies and finally to the tribes? Hmm. And I said, yes, I can not knowing really how to go about it. Mm-hmm. So we sent the proposal in. It got funded. 
1976. We need to talk about this. Some folks are tracking right along, but you've mentioned the Older Americans Act. Some folks, they're hearing about it for the first time. So tell us a little bit about what that was. The Older Americans Act was passed in 1965, and it uh, was in response to what was happening in the larger society. And the larger society, they were taking older people and basically warehousing them. Mm. And they said, this is not a good way to treat our elderly populations. So why don't we provide them with social services, meals programs, etc.? cetera? Mm-hmm. And so that particular law was passed in 65, then it gets amended every few years or so. But in that period of time between 65 and 75, tribes had to go to the states mm. to basically beg for money for their elderly population. But it was in 1975 that the Indian Self-Determination Act was passed. And that was what the tribes were looking at in Arizona. They said, there was this piece of legislation, Public Law 93-638, Self-Determination Act, that says Indian tribes should run their own programs. Mm -hmm. If they're really true about that, honest about that, we can do that in the aging programs. Mm -hmm. So why don't we see if we can get direct funding from the federal government when the Older Americans Act comes back up for reauthorization? So I drafted the first piece of legislation. It was on the yellow notepad, mm-hmm. and we all got back together at the national conference. 2,000 elderly people showed up for that conference. Wow. They looked at that piece of legislation and said, we like it. Mm. We like it. And so that national conference said, let's have a task force on aging. Mm. So the task force was selected, and I was on that task force. Okay. That evening, we got together after the end of the conference, and rather than being a task force, because they said it connotates a temporary thing, mm. why don't we talk about incorporating as a nonprofit organization? Wow. And so the National Indian Council on Aging was incorporated. Amazing, amazing and, story. <clears throat> and you've been doing this for some what, uh, approaching 50 years, huh? Almost, yes. Wow. Larry, we have to step away briefly. We're going to talk about what the National Indian Council on Aging is doing today. You've heard about uh, some of its origin. You're going to hear about some things that can make a difference for you, for elders that you care about, for your tribe. Don't go away. I'm Dr. DeRose. We've got a lot more coming back in today's edition of the broadcast. Stay tuned. Today's broadcast has been pre-recorded. However, if you have questions about today's show or would like further information, please reach out to us on the web at AIANL.org. That stands for American Indian Alaska Native Living. Again, AIANL.org. Or you can call us at 1-800-775-HOPE. That's 1-800-775-4673. We'll be right back after this. We are strong, we are resilient, and we will get through this together. But these are stressful times, and it's important to also practice good self-care. It's normal to feel overwhelmed, anxious, or afraid, but there is hope. Reach out to someone, connect with your friends, stay in touch with your community, and know that you are not alone. Learn more at wearebroadcasters.com hope. Furnished by the National Association of Broadcasters and this station. When Jim died, I wondered if I would be able to keep the farm. 
Then I heard about the USDA's loan program for socially disadvantaged farmers and ranchers. It's for women and minorities who may be having trouble getting credit. Once I was approved, the USDA's Farm Service Agency helped me get the credit I needed. Now I don't have to sell, and I can pass the farm down to my kids the way Jim's dad passed it down to him. I know he'd like that. Contact your local USDA Service Center or visit www.fsa.usda.gov. Social Security is with you through life's journey from birth to retirement. As your life changes year to year, so do your needs. For over 80 years, Social Security has helped to meet your needs and is committed to improving access to the services that make a difference in your life. Today, you can verify your earnings, estimate your future benefits, apply for retirement, manage your benefits, and even change your address all from the comfort of your home. Social Security's online services help put you in control with secure access to your information anytime, anywhere, allowing you to spend more time with family, friends, or simply just enjoying the day. Social Security, securing today and tomorrow. See what you can do online at socialsecurity.gov. Produced at U.S. taxpayer expense. You're listening to Dr. David DeRose on American Indian and Alaskan Native Living. Your comments and questions are welcome. Call now at 1-800-775-HOPE. That's 1-800-775-4673. Here again is Dr. DeRose. Welcome back to today's edition of American Indian and Alaskan Native Living. I'm Dr. David DeRose. Across from me, Larry Curley. Larry is the executive director of the National Indian Council on Aging. We've been enjoying uh, learning about the roots of this amazing organization. And I love the story, Larry, so much to hear about a young person early in his uh, career getting involved with making a difference for elders. You've never lost that vision. You've been doing this for, like we said, You'll have your 50th anniversary, if I'm doing my math right, in 2026. Have I got that correct? That is correct. So tell us a little bit more about the organization today. Fascinating background. If someone says, i never heard about this organization, I'm a tribal elder, why should they want to know about you? Because I think one of the things that we do is that we look at the data, we look at the issues that are out there, and we try to be more proactive. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of times tribal organizations, tribal governments have a tendency of looking at the here and now, what Mm -hmm. is. Mm -hmm. My perspective is we ought not be doing that Mm -hmm. because 10, 15, 20, 30 years down the line, there's something on the horizon that we need to address, that we need to anticipate, that we need to be ahead of the curve. And so we take a look at these issues and begin to look at and say, maybe we need to develop a policy that changes this particular piece of legislation. Or maybe there's a situation that's coming up. Maybe we need to start pushing for a particular program that needs to be there. For example, right now, the Older Americans Act is coming up for reauthorization in uh, 2025. And there's a title in that legislation called Title 7B. And it's a caretaker program. It takes care of people. Although it is in the law, it's in the legislation, it's never been funded. Mm. And so what we're now saying is it needs to be funded. And so we are up on the Hill talking with the congressional people, 
telling them this is needed because the population that needs that level of care is increasing. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. you cannot wait until it becomes a crisis. And so we're doing that now. At the same time, we provide training and technical assistance. You know, with the COVID mm-hmm. that happened, we were out in the field working with different tribes here and there. Unfortunately, when COVID hit, it just thrust us into the 21st century. Okay. And we had to find out what Zoom meant. And we had to uh-huh. find out what Teams meant. And uh-huh. All of those technologies that are available out there. And if anything good came out of the COVID, is that we learned the technology we have to do and we have to learn. And so we are now doing webinars on financial security, mm-hmm. webinars on how to develop a long-term care facility. Uh, we've had 65 different webinars wow. in the past two years talking about different issues that have come to our attention. Three of them, for example. One, because we went to the tribal leaders and said, what are your biggest needs that you have out there? One, we need to know how to develop assisted living facilities mm-hmm. for older people. Their second one was, we need to know how to develop a home health agency. Okay. And the other one was, how can we do a better job of managing programs? Hmm. And so these were the top three concerns of tribal leaders in this country. And so we did. Did a webinar, two-hour webinar Mm -hmm. on each of those topics. It wasn't just us. We found people who were experts in the field. And we brought them to the table, and we broadcast that nationwide. So basically, anyone can go to your website and can access these webinars, or were they just live? They're all recorded. They're all available. When we decided to do this, we knew that there's going to be some people that are live, but there are people who couldn't make it. Mm -hmm. So we have recorded it, so it's available online. The biggest topic today right now in terms of anticipation is that I'm looking at the data that is on Alzheimer's Mm. and dementia. Mm -hmm. Studies in the field show that in the non-Indian community, one in five in the next decade will be diagnosed with Alzheimer's, one in five. In Indian country, one in three. Wow. And so the preponderance Alzheimer's is going to increase. The Mm -hmm. incidence of that's going to be increased. And there comes a point in time when a person taking care of a parent, a grandma, that that person who has Alzheimer's is going to deteriorate to a point they can't take care of them anymore. It's true. And so what I'm seeing here is, okay, where are we going to place these people when they get to that point, mm-hmm. the usual answer is a long-term care facility. Okay. How many long-term care facilities are in Indian country? 23. Really? 23? 23. 23. Total bed capacity of less than 1,000. Less than 1,000 throughout all of Indian country? Less than 1,000. It's all in Indian country. And so when I take a look at that, and there are right now 503,000 older Indians over the age of 60 today. If you say one-third of those 
Mm. You're talking about 125,000 in the next decade who will be diagnosed with Alzheimer's. How many beds are there? (laughs) Not a good picture, eh? No. And so I'm sitting here and I go, we need to anticipate the future. What are our best alternatives to that particular growing need? Mm -hmm. We need more long-term care facilities, whether they be assisted living facilities, whether they be nursing homes, Mm -hmm. or whether they be memory care facilities. And so one of the things that we're looking at right now, for example, is there is no funds available for nursing homes Mm. and those kinds of facilities. And I have to look back to 1946. Wow, 46? 1946, there was a piece of legislation called the Hill-Burton Act. Heard of it, yeah. The Hill-Burton Act was passed in 1946 so that people can begin or communities can construct hospitals in rural areas. Mm -hmm. And so across this country, in rural areas, most of the hospitals that are built there were funded by the Hill-Burton Act. Hmm. Why not take that Hill-Burton Act as a model and make it the Tribal Long-Term Care Facilities Act, hmm. using the Hilburn Act as a model mm-hmm. and using that to begin to provide funds for tribes to build these facilities because it's coming. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if people want to stick their heads in the sand, <laughs> but I think they need to anticipate this will be happening and we need to get ahead of the curve. And we need to make sure that when those nursing homes are built that are culturally relevant, they're culturally appropriate, mm-hmm. that the programming in there are appropriate. Mm-hmm. Because one of the things that I do know is that my training is a, is a nursing home administrator. Okay. That's, and I have a license, a nursing home administrator's license in the state uh-huh. of New Mexico. I did run a nursing home on an Indian reservation in New Mexico. Wow. And we turned that facility into a tribal-oriented, culturally relevant facility. Beautiful. And so that facility is still moving ahead. Mm -hmm. They've added to it. And I was there for three years in that nursing home. But also the other part of it is this. Not only was I, after I left the National Indian Council on Aging, I went to this nursing home, I ended up running a Head Start program for the Navajo Nation. A Head Start program? Yes. So both ends of the spectrum? Absolutely. Okay. If you look at it from a non-Indian perspective, time is linear. Okay. But from a Native perspective, Mm -hmm. it's circular. Mm -hmm. You're born, you become old, and you turn back to that point. So the difference is not that far apart. Okay. And I learned a lot about young children, young kids about how they look at the world Uh and that looking at the aging population, looking at the younger population, you can see what that trajectory looks like. Uh And one of the things that concerned me the most was that if you're going to improve the lives of Indian people, start at a younger age. Mm -hmm. And when I was a Head Start director, I would go out into the field in Navajo country and I would see those Head Start schools, facilities. And those kids would be sitting at tables that were warped, Hmm. were uneven. Mm -hmm. The ceiling, the roof was leaking. Wow. And they had 
papers that had to reflip over. And they would write on those pieces of paper. Mm. A few years later, I ended up going to school at Brandeis <laughs> in Boston. Okay. And I had the opportunity to visit not a daycare, uh -huh. it's kind of like a daycare program, but for basically very wealthy families. Wow. I walked down these marble halls, uh -huh. walnut mahogany, and I'm walking down. And I look, and these kids were talking about Socrates, Aristotle, philosophy at the age of five years old. Wow. <laughs> we got to talk more about this because I love this connection with youth and aging. I think there's some powerful synergies there. We do have to step away just briefly. I'm Dr. David DeRose. You're listening to American Indian and Alaska Native Living. We're in the convention center in Anchorage, Alaska. Larry is staying by with us. If you're just joining us, Larry Curley, Executive Director of the National Indian Council on Aging. Stay with us. A lot more to come. We'll be right back. American Indian and Alaska Native Living will continue in a moment. If you have questions or comments about today's pre-recorded broadcast, please contact us on the web at AIANL.org or call 1-800-775-HOPE. That's 1-800-775-4673. A message from the National Police Association. It used to be that any able-bodied person would offer to assist a police officer in danger. Now, passers-by are more likely to take a video. There's a better use for your phone when an officer's in trouble. Call 911. Tell the operator where you are and what you see. Then, start your video to provide evidence later. To learn more about how you can assist law enforcement, visit nationalpolice.org. That's nationalpolice.org. Using meth taught me everything about freedom, only not like you think. It taught me how easy it is to lose your freedom. If you think meth is taking control of you, ask for help. You have the power to be truly free. I know. I'm Jan, and I'm free from meth. If you or someone you know is struggling with meth, call 1-800-662-HELP for 24-hour free and confidential treatment referral. Learn more at samhsa.gov meth. You're listening to Dr. David DeRose on American Indian and Alaskan Native Living. Your comments and questions are welcome. Call now at 1-800-775-HOPE. That's 1-800-775-4673. Here again is Dr. DeRose. Welcome back to the second half of today's edition of American Indian and Alaska Native Living. I'm Dr. David DeRose. I'm sitting across from Larry Curley in a convention center in Anchorage, Alaska. We've got folks surrounding us from throughout Indian country here in this exhibit hall. We're at the National Indian Health Board-sponsored National Tribal Health Conference and uh, Larry's been talking with us about a group that you may know simply as NICOA. It stands for the National Indian Council on Aging. If you've not been with us from the top of the hour, definitely uh, jump on our website and uh, check out the, uh, the, the whole program. Larry shared about the background of his organization for which he is the executive director. And uh, we're speaking now with Larry because you've been telling us about all kinds of great resources that you've got there. I love this idea of financial security for seniors, uh, if someone's trying to develop a long-term care facility, 
home health agency development, all of these things readily available in webinars on your website. Where does someone go to access that website? Well, they would go to NICOA, org, and they can find that information on there. We also have a site called NICOACompass.org, mm. which is within that site where they can access information on long-term services and support. And wow. those are services that, like I said, where we talk about how do you develop a nursing home. Mm-hmm. These are the steps you go through. How do you develop a, um, a an LTS, a coordinated comprehensive service delivery system? Because I think a lot of times in Indian country, and I work for Indian tribes as well, is that services are usually fragmented. They're mm-hmm. in silos. Mm-hmm. And what needs to happen, if you really want to provide a comprehensive set of services, is to bring all of those services together in one area so they have one common objective and a target population. For example, you have a social services program at a tribal level. You have the elderly program, the senior center. You have a, a tribal judicial system, law mm-hmm. enforcement. All of those services, if you really care about providing services and taking care of your elders, those entities and those programs need to come together and figure out how they can coordinate. Because when I worked for that area agency in Tucson, Mm -hmm. for example, it was a comprehensive coordinated system. Mm -hmm. And what they would say is these people would get back together at least once a week. And they talk about, let's say, I'll make up a name, Sally. Sally over on the east side really needs to have more nutrition programs. So she needs to have home-delivered meals to her home Mm -hmm. five times a week. And she also needs transportation to her physician next week. And they will coordinate it through a case management system Mm -hmm. and make sure that that person got that service. And there was no uh, rivalry between the service deliverers. Mm -hmm. And that's what I would like to see happen in Indian country. And I think that there are some programs out there in Indian country that do that. For example, Oneida mm-hmm. in uh, Wisconsin. There's also Cherokee in Oklahoma that does that. Mm-hmm. Zuni Pueblo in New Mexico. Okay. So those are examples of a comprehensive coordinated service delivery system that works and has worked. And so that's you know some of the things that we, we really push for out mm-hmm. through our website and the information that we provide. That's great. So, folks, if you're tuning in, you say, boy, I'd love to tap into this. Or maybe you're a tribal council member. Maybe you are in a tribal health department. You're saying this is something that we need to own more uh, on our tribal level. Go ahead to NICOA, N-I-C-O-A dot O-R-G, or NICOACompass dot O-R-G, correct? Yes. Beautiful. Larry, before we stepped away in the last segment, we were speaking about this whole aspect of circle of life. Some people will call it dealing with uh, senior health issues and also with Head Start, uh, programming for children. I know some of the things that I've seen happening throughout the country that really leverage some of the power of groups that sometimes seem to have unique needs but also seem to have complementary needs. I think of seniors and their involvement with children. I know you have some experience with that. Tell us a little bit from your vantage point of why that connection is so powerful. Because I think one of the things, for example, in a long-term care facility, when I was a nursing home administrator, we 
put together a grant and it got funded and that would be, was an intergenerational program within a nursing home. Mm -hmm. We brought children who were four or five years old into the facility and we had them interacting with the residents of the facility. Uh -huh. And you just seeing those older people just come to life, uh -huh. working with these little kids, talking with them in their own language. Wow. And so that one of the things that it did was it perpetuated the language. Mm. And, and it would give the younger children an idea that being old can be fun, uh -huh. can be okay. And uh -huh. that these are not just people who are sick or anything like that, but there's an older person there with some life in them uh -huh. that they've experienced life and they share that information back and forth. And I think that some of the things that's happening now is that some of the younger people are teaching some of these older people how to use their smartphones. Oh, that is great. I love this. You know, so, so that's what's happening out there. And I think that that interaction is important. I think that one of the things that as I'm thinking about all of that and some of the things that we're working on right now is that you know, there's a, a piece of legislation called the Indian Child Welfare Act mm -hmm. out there. And basically, that Indian Child Welfare Act says that the children are the future of Indian country. Mm -hmm. we got to protect them. So tribes have jurisdiction over those children, wherever they are. And I'm thinking, these young people who are protected by law, it's designed so that we can perpetuate our culture, our knowledge, language. Mm-hmm. Who are they going to learn it from? Mm. The elders. Mm -hmm. But we're not protecting them mm. the way we're doing our children. Mm -hmm. And so one of the things that we're thinking about now is maybe the passage of an Indian Elders Protection Act. Wow. So that we protect our elders, no matter where they are. Uh -huh. So that the tribes can make sure that that culture, that knowledge, that language is preserved and that tribes have jurisdiction over that. That's such a beautiful picture. You know, people, as they're listening to our dialogue, Larry, and I mean, so many of my listeners know you, they've rubbed shoulders with you in various settings, but others don't. And when I have guests who have native roots on the show, some of them will tell stories like, you know, I was very disconnected from my cultural roots growing up, or maybe some people in some eras, they said, you know, I was shipped off to a boarding school and I was taught not to speak my native language. We've heard all the stories. Others say, I grew up very connected with my culture. You're passionate about issues in Indian country. Tell us a little bit about how your background shaped that. My parents never went to school. My father worked on the Santa Fe Railroad. He was the John Henry. You know, okay, laying the spikes, yeah, yeah. He was a big guy. He was he was the guy that drove the spikes into the tracks. Uh huh. He was traditional Navajo. He ended up being a medicine man. Wow. Uh huh. Yeah, he was trained to be a medicine man. But he always used to say to us, "Learn as much as you can." Mm hmm. And you know, back then, he'd say, "Back in the old days, bows and arrows—that was our weapons." That's what we use in this day is that pencil and that piece of paper. Wow. That's now your weapons. Obviously, now it's laptops. Right, 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 right. But back then, that was what he said. These are your weapons. Uh -huh. And my children, my sons, are protecting. They should be protecting their people hmm. the best way they know how. I want my sons, if they ever to go down fighting for their people, 
I want them to be found laying face up, covered with arrows on the front side. I don't want my sons laying face down with one arrow in his back. Hmm. And that analogy essentially was that you faced the enemy mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and that you sat there and you protected the people rather than running away. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so that's how I was taught. And I didn't learn how to speak English until I was six, seven years old. Okay. Well, that's one of the things that's always struck me about a lot of the Navajo uh, tribal members that I've met. You know, there is in many circles such a strong emphasis on the traditional language. So you grew up speaking Navajo. Yes, I grew up speaking Navajo. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, there were times when I almost lost it because you're ended up in the non-Indian world for so long. Mm -hmm. But it's always when I went back to the Navajo Nation to run the Head Start program that the... uh, Department of Health for the Navajo Nation. Those are things, you know, that help ground me back in Indian Mm -hmm. country. Mm -hmm. And so my background is that. And my father used to say, that education that you get, it's not yours. Mm. It's not personal property. Mm. It's community property. Mm. You use it to help your people. And I hope that that's what I've been doing Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. all my life. And like I said, I was an area agency on an aging planner. I was a lobbyist in Washington, D.C. Mm-hmm. Um, on that piece of legislation I was telling you about. Right, right. I couldn't get senators to support it. And one day I ran across this building had NRA on it. Huh. I walked into the NRA office and I said, I need help. And they said, what do you want? I said, I need NRA's letter to this particular senator <laughs> saying you support it. Huh. And he said, we love old people. That's not a problem. We can write a dear friend letter. Uh-huh. But he says, what's in it for us? I gave him my mailing list. I said, there are over 250,000 homes on Indian reservations, and each one of the homes, there's a rifle. Hmm. Those are potential members of the NRA. Hmm. And that particular senator, two weeks later, flipped. And he said he's going to support our Title VI legislation. Wow. And that was how the NRA got involved with us. <laughs> so uh, you definitely learned about power brokers in, in Washington in your lobbyist career. <laughs> Thanks to Marion, the wow. director that I went to work for. You know, before we step away for another break, one of the things that's important to me, uh, Larry, at this juncture is folks are listening to this story that you're really presenting about connectedness, tribes connecting with their seniors, people organizing things, coming together, your own history. And I know you do something every couple years that's designed to pull elders together from throughout Indian country. We don't have a lot of time uh, right now, maybe a minute before we got to step away, but just give us a quick overview of, of what's coming up in September of 2023. September 25 through September 29, we're having our National Indian Aging Conference in Cherokee, North Carolina, and we're expecting about 2,000 elders to show up, and uh, we provide workshops, culture night, and an opportunity for the elders who have become friends over the years to re-meet, re- reacquaint themselves. So it's kind of like a, a nice get-together for them. It's not all this 
you know, a heavy duty type of thing, you know, where it's uh-huh, uh-huh. all just crunch time doing workshops. It's a fun time for them. And that's what it's for. But there's two things that are attached to that conference that's uh-huh. happening and that's very important is the 25 um, Older Americans Act reauthorization uh-huh. and the White House Conference on Aging. We want to talk more about that. We want to talk about the amazing uh, planning and venue for this conference. Stay tuned. We've got one final segment in today's edition of the show. Dr. David DeRose, your host. Larry Curley, Executive Director of NICOA, the National Indian Council on Aging. We'll be back right after this. Today's broadcast has been pre-recorded. However, if you have questions about today's show or would like further information, please call 1-800-775-HOPE. That's 1-800-775-4673. We'll be right back after this. If a natural disaster comes knocking, how prepared is your family? You can't just close the door on earthquakes, floods, or hurricanes and hope they go away. That's why it's important to make a plan now. Ready.gov plan has the tools and tips you need to prepare your family for an emergency. So if disaster shows up at your doorstep, you'll be ready. Visit ready.gov plan and make a plan today. Brought to you by FEMA and the Ad Council. I'm just texting him back. I'm just posting a story. I'm just changing the song. I'm just... No. When it comes to distracted driving, just don't. Sending a text takes your eyes off the road for just five seconds, but in that time, your car can travel the length of an entire football field. Any distracted driving just isn't worth it. Visit StopTextsStopRex.org. A message brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration, Project Yellow Light, and the Ad Council. What is a number story? My number story started with fear and a lack of support, and it has led me to be there for others. A number story begins in our childhood with ACEs, adverse childhood experiences. My number story begins with the separation from my father and the emotional abandonment from my mother and leads to me being a role model to not only myself, but those around me by becoming the person that wasn't there for me. ACEs are so common, two-thirds of us have one. My number story begins with drug abuse and homelessness and leads to realizing that I can live life by my own standards. A study found the more ACEs, the more likely we may experience a host of serious health effects, physical and mental, but that doesn't need to be the case. Your ACE number is simply an entry point to your own story. Where it leads is up to you. My number story begins with years of emotional abuse and leads to peace, clarity, and security in my self-worth. Take control of where your number story leads at numberstory.org. You're listening to Dr. David DeRose on American Indian and Alaska Native Living. Your comments and questions are welcome. Call now at 1-800-775-HOPE. That's 1-800-775-4673. Here again is Dr. DeRose. Welcome back for our final segment of today's edition of American Indian and Alaska Native Living. I'm Dr. David DeRose. I've been so thankful to have Larry Curley sitting across from me, the executive director of the National Indian Council on Aging. If you're just joining us, we are in a convention venue, thus the uh, ambient noise of this uh, very exciting venue for a National Indian Health Board-sponsored conference, the National Tribal Health Conference. We're recording in May of 2023. Larry, 
you've been sharing your passion for seniors, and it's something that uh, to me is just amazing because you started in this work as a 24-year-old uh, involved with founding this organization, and so many people at that age, the, the last thing they're thinking about is people toward the latter end of life. You've been uh, devoting your career to that, and here you're seeing so many things coming together, and yet challenges uh, left and right that we've been talking about on the show. I know one of the uh, things we're speaking about as we had to step away is your uh, biannual conference coming up in September of 2023. For those who didn't get a chance to write down the dates, can you give us again the dates and the venue of that conference? The uh, conference itself is going to be held from September 25th through September 29th of 2023. And it's going to be held in Cherokee, North Carolina at the uh, Cherokee Harris mm. Convention Center. Okay. So that's where we're having it this coming year. We had our last one held in 2021. Um, it was held in Reno, Nevada. Mm -hmm. And we had a little bit over about 800 people. But mm -hmm. that was just when we come out of COVID. Right, right. And so average, we usually average between 1,500 to 2,000 in a regular non-COVID year, we're anticipating that pent-up desire to mm. travel, meet, and catch up with their uh -huh. friends is going to be there. So we're expecting at least 2,000, maybe a little bit over, uh, wow. coming to that conference. And what, the, what I think is important about this particular conference is that there are some significant events that are happening in the next two years after that conference. Mm -hmm. And one of them is obviously... Um, the Older Americans Act is going to be back up for reauthorization in 2025. Okay. And we want to make sure that we get a head start from the tribal leaders who are there to begin talking about what are the amendments that we'd like to see in the Older Americans Act mm -hmm. that would benefit tribes and tribal elders. So that's 23. Mm -hmm. In 2023, we're also looking very concerned about the elections that will happen in 2024. Fair enough. And so you don't know whether it's going to be a new administration taking over in 2025 or mm -hmm. not. Mm -hmm. So we're looking at that as what are some of the ways and some of the strategies that we might want to consider as we move into a new administration, possibly a new administration, mm -hmm. and begin to develop that strategy. As we go from that, we take a look at what's happening in 2025. Obviously, the Older Americans Act is up for reauthorization. Mm -hmm. We need your input in 2023 to help us begin to build for that 2025. 2025 is also the same year that we're going to have our next elders conference. Okay. And it's going to be in Durant, Oklahoma. Okay. And that conference is in 2025. There's a White House conference on aging that's held every 10 years. Uh-huh. The last one is in 2015. Uh-huh. 10 years from then, right. 2025, mm -hmm. in Oklahoma. That's oh, the really? same year. Okay. What we're looking at right now is they have the National White House Conference on Aging. We have been, my caller has been asking that we have a separate National Indian White House Conference on Aging. Interesting. And so at that 23 conference, we're going to develop the strategy to have that 2025 conference in Durant, Oklahoma designated as the National Indian White House Conference on Aging. Wow, wow. And that 25 conference on aging determines what the policies will be for the next 10 years. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so 
this particular conference in 2023 in Cherokee, North Carolina is going to be critical in terms of our being at least um, proactive rather than reacting to mm-hmm. changes that mm-hmm. are occurring. That's the significance and the importance of that. No, that's, that's tremendous. And again, if someone's wanting to find more information, details about registration, the venue, uh, if they didn't jot down the dates, which are September 25 to 29 of 2023, I'm assuming they can get that all on the website. Is that safe to say? That is safe to say, yes. And, Very safe. And again, give us that website in case someone is just joining us. NICOA.org. N-I-C-O-A.org. Okay. So we've got folks that are thinking in terms of the future. But what I love about what you're doing, Larry, and your organization is even though you're thinking of these big picture things, you're talking about issues that affect all of people throughout Indian country. But you're also taking an individual interest in people because you and I both know that no matter how great the programs are, if individuals don't have the personal resources, the ability to access some of those things, what good is it, what we're doing? I love the fact that you mentioned earlier in the program, you have recognized what many of us have noted, and that it seems as we get older, seems we're being targeted uh, by scammers, people trying to undermine the financial security of seniors. It may be tenuous to begin with, but I mean, all of us are inundated regardless of what our age, these, you know, robocalls, these uh, emails, texts, uh, purporting to be all kinds of things. And as people lose some of that agility, uh, mental agility, some of those powers of discernment, when someone is claiming to be a UPS shipper that has a misplaced package or a phone call from the IRS, they're going to take that and give out sensitive information and then regret it. Tell us a little bit about what you've been doing in that whole financial security piece. We have been putting together webinars and information pieces, you know, written materials as well, about what are some of the things that are happening out there. Mm-hmm. And the people that are doing the scamming are getting even more sophisticated. Mm-hmm. And they're coming up with some ideas that sounds like they're really authentic. Mm-hmm. For example, recently I received an email from Wells Fargo mm-hmm. telling me that they have some issues with my checking account. Mm-hmm. But when I took a look at their logo, it was a little off. Mm. And so I realized that this is not Wells Fargo. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And there are instances where some of our elders have received emails from, let's say, a grandson of theirs who is now, let's say, in L.A. Okay. And saying, I just got myself into a car accident and I need to pay these bills. Could you send money cards? Uh-huh. And so grandma gets this email thinking this is real. Right, right. And they send the money off. Wow. And we're saying to people, look at the email address. Mm-hmm. And if it's like coming from a company, it shouldn't have gmail.com. <laughs> Fair enough, right? You know, look at, be careful. Yeah, be careful because yeah. that's what's happening. And we've had a number of seminars and a number of webinars and a number, a lot of information. And we've been part of panels. So staff that I work with um, have been on different panels where they have provided that information about some of the things to look for. We did one that was an hour long. That was just a really great a session that we worked with at the University of Washington mm-hmm. who had done some studies and research on scamming. 
and they provided that information. Well, that sounds to be fascinating for everyone. I mean, we have a lot of non-native listeners. You think they could pick up some uh, pointers in that? Oh yeah, oh yeah. Well, I think that they can. You know, we did learn something. You know, uh-huh. so we're now sharing that information, hoping that people will utilize it. Doesn't matter whether they're Indian or non-Indian. If they sure. can use the information that we got. For example, one of the Compass website uh-huh. we have in there nutrition. Uh, recipes for traditional foods oh nice in there and so it's all there nice and we also have a place in there for games oh wow yeah so elders can go in there and play games uh-huh and when we put that section into our compass the people that were funding us from the federal government said that's frivolous mm. and our response was those are elderly people who are trying to keep their brain alive mm-hmm. and if we can exercise their brain mm-hmm. by them playing games mm-hmm then we are trying to prevent and delay the onset of Alzheimer's. Good for you. Did that win them over? Oh, yeah. Good, good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so basically, all those resources, I can simply go to NICOA.org. Absolutely. Or I can go to NICOA, N-I-C-O-A, Compass, C-O-M-P-A-S-S dot O-R-G? Yes. Okay. On both, both sites. And is there something special I should be looking for in these webinars? Do you have a section, resources or webinars? How do I find it there? And there's a section on there that says uh, webinars that we have done so they can just go to, to the topic. Beautiful. And we have, and there on that compass site, we have the entire United States, and we're identifying the services that are available in each state. Wow, that is great. Our time has just about slipped away. Before we say goodbye, Larry, any final message that you'd like to leave with our listeners? I would say that your elders are really the key to the survival of tribes. Mm protect them the best that you can take care of them give them the respect that you say you respect those elders wonderful larry thanks so much for taking time out of your busy schedule you're very welcome we do have to go i'm glad you were able to join us every one of you listeners to today's edition and as always i'm dr david derose wishing you the very best of health this is Life Talk Radio.